Welcome to episode 75 on Call-In. This is Savvy Saps Podcast. Lula refuses arms to Ukraine. Lula has announced that he will not send arms to Ukraine. Meanwhile, Germany will send tanks to Ukraine. What are your thoughts? So I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about this. It looks like we have Zach. What's up, Zach? What's your take on all of this? And I have to make sure I un uh mute my medium my media volume so i can hear you are we good are we good i can hear you now okay okay um so i had a couple things um one it seems like it's going to be a with this lula situation um kind of a, a global split the one side is going to be hegemonic American, you know, rule of America's doing this thing. Um, uh, you know, the rest of the Western world is going to follow suit. And then uh, on the other side, you're going to have people who aren't necessarily anti-war or progressive or left um, saying, no, this, this like Lula, I, he's, He's kind of neoliberally, as I understand it. Uh, that's a dumb word, but um, he, he's not some shining, uh, from videos and discussions I had, some shining leftist. He's just doing basically what, um, in my view, is the, is the sensical thing, right? The thing that makes the most sense. Why, why would I involve my country and uh, sell these weapons and, you know, endanger uh, my fellow countrymen when it, it's, it's not necessary. It, it's dirty all around. Like, I'm not saying Russia's a good guy, but you know, I understand why they did what they did. And then, so you, you kind of have to be that, uh, neutral party and say, no, we're just, we're not going to participate. I totally hear you on that. And I, I think that, um, I wonder if the split, when you're talking about the global split, I wonder if it's going to be more so that like the global South will not participate. Yes, I, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Because we have like, I mean, look, Africa is an entire continent. <laughs> so you had an entire continent say, we are going to remain neutral in this situation. We don't want anything to do with this, even though some of the weapons have ended up in Africa. We need to figure out how that happened. Uh, but they still, still are like, no, we don't want anything to do with it. So I'm, I'm going to wait and see. I'm curious if it's, it's more so going to be, excuse me, <clears throat> it's more so going to be the global South that decides not to get involved with this situation. Global South might, um, lead the charge, but, you know, um, I, for the past year with, with the Russia Ukraine thing, I think that the, um, the establishment, um, news organizations, they, they have, you know, been grouping China and Russia together. So I could imagine even if there were, there are multiple, um, countries that, uh, have their interests aligned, it, it could be global South to maybe, you know, um, spark a, or be like, Hey, we're not going to do this. And then, uh, a Russia and China, um, will follow suit because many reasons. Uh, Russia is not the biggest fan of America because what we do, and then 
Right. Um, uh, partly because of the stay neutral. Um, I just had one question. Um, I emailed Eric a while back um, asking him about um, teaching me how to do editing. And um, he said, unfortunately, I, I can't help you. I've got a lot going on. Do you know which editing program he uses for um, your show? Yeah, he, he sent it to me before. I'll ask him. I think I have it somewhere in an email. Um, but I'll ask him what he uses. But yeah, um, Eric is really busy. Um, okay. And and I can get that information from him because I do know which, whatever program he uses, he's able to do I guess he's able to do it pretty quickly because when he sends me the clips, like it's like four clips, you know, all at once. Yeah. So the turnaround time, whatever system he does use, the turnaround time is is pretty fast, it seems like. All right. Thanks, Sabby. It was good to talk to you. Thanks so much for calling in, Zach. Okay. We're going to bring in Karthik. What's going on, Karthik? Hey, Sabby. What's up? Uh, okay. Sorry to distract you, but um, I just wanted to say I thought you, did a, I thought you guys did a great job of it. <laughs> on the uh, interview uh, with uh, Marion Williamson? Well, that's nice to hear. I mean, I, I was told that uh, <laughs> I was told that uh, the, the exact opposite, but it's it's nice to hear that. <laughs> no, I, I know it like kind of um, ended messy, let's say, but um, but I, I thought it was, uh, you know, went pretty well. I was actually a little confused because like it was pretty calm for the most part. But then, you know, it ended how it ended. Like, I I didn't, like, get what happened. Like, did you understand, like, why it, like, went so crazy so quickly? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, long story short, Rome was not, not having a good day. He's, he's going through some stuff. Um, he posted, he actually did, I think this was the other day, he did a stream talking about mental health. And he talked about like the, the personal things that that like he's going through. Um, you know, all I can say is I, I, I really hope that he gets that help and, and support. It's it's very hard. Like I. We don't live in the same states like none of us do. And it's hard. Like sometimes I wish I could just go, you know, knock on the door and say, hey, like, what do you need? Like you know, and, and try to help. But it's, it's hard when you don't live like in the same state and stuff like that. But he he did not have a good week. Um, I, you might know about this. I, I think he I think he he posted this on Twitter that he got arrested, that that was a whole thing, too. Like he's just going through some things. Um, you know, we'll we'll get through it. I think. For me, it's just. I mean, I can't go back and change the past. Like, yeah, do I wish things would have turned out differently? I do. Um, but we've been getting, I've been getting attacked ever since that interview. Like nonstop attacks, whether it's Twitter, email, et cetera. Like people have just been coming after me. Um, first of all, for doing the interview. And I, I do want to clear something up because I think it seems like people think that we asked Marianne for this interview. That's actually not how this happened. And you can see it on Twitter. There was a tweet that was posted. Uh, I think it's Neo's algorithm. 
Neil's algorithm, he had posted a tweet asking Marianne Williamson uh, to go on RBN and we were tagged. This is another reason why I don't like looking at my mentions. And she responded and said that she would be happy to. That's how it happened. And so Nick said, told her on the tweet to DM, to DM him. That's actually how this happened. I've heard so many different things. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so like pissed because there have been a lot of assumptions. I've heard so many different people like reach out to me and assume, well, Savvy set up the interview. I did not. <laughs> and if you look at the Twitter post, you can see that obviously I was not the one, that's not how things happened. Um, I did not set up the interview. Um, some people have attacked me saying like, why'd you guys have her on if you were just gonna attack her? I didn't think I did attack her, but some people are saying that I did. Um, some people are coming after me saying that uh, I should have yelled at her or I should have been more like Rome. And, you know, I am who I am. I'm not gonna try to be someone else. And it's just, it. honestly, I'll be honest with you. I look back on it and maybe I'm like, maybe it would have been better if she would have said no. Well, I think for what it was, I thought you guys did a pretty good job. And I, I just thought that like, she, she kind of got mad at the end as a way to like, not answer the question about, about Ukraine. As like a distraction. Yeah, well, there was something that happened before. The, this is the piece that people don't know. There was something that happened before we even went live. Rome had said something to her on Twitter. You, I think it was something like, you better be ready to face me. And there were some other things said there too. And then it was like, after that was said, then all of a sudden it was like, she DM'd Nick back and said, I got 20 minutes. So we probably would have had more time because Marianne, usually like when I had interviewed her before, like two years ago, I had like the first time I think it was 30 minutes, but that time limit was set by me because I had work and stuff like that at that point, at that point of the day. But the second time she was on for an hour and I've seen her do like hour interviews with people before, but it was, it was last minute when we found that out that it was only going to be 20 minutes. So that's, that's another thing that people don't understand. Then it was like, all of a sudden me and Nick had to figure out, okay, then we're going to have to narrow down the questions. So we didn't have enough time to ask all the questions that we had. And I was like, damn, well, I don't want to forget about asking about the foreign policy and stuff like that too. But that's what people don't know that that happened before we went live. So I think this is what I think I have not heard from Marianne, but what I think is when Rome jumped on screen, I think that's why she was trying to leave like that because of what he said to her. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. There's, these are the things that sometimes things happen behind the scene that you guys just, you know, you don't get to see. And it was just, it was frustrating for me because like I said, like all of a sudden we had to take all the questions, at least that I had in mind to ask, we had to shrink that down to 20 minutes. And we actually went over the time we ended up, I think it was like 31 minutes or something like that. So we actually end up going over and I just, it just pissed me off because I really wanted to talk more about the Russia Ukraine thing. I really wanted to go in on that. I wanted to go in on uh, Israel and Palestine more, um, but I didn't get a chance to do that. Well, I, I thought like for the opportunity you had, I, I thought you did a pretty good job. So you don't need to 
feel bad or anything. It was a great interview. Um, I, I, I definitely a lot more substantive than a lot of, you know, like softball uh, interviews I've seen her friends do of her. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that, man. Oh, before I go, so I, I, I've had the same question like the last year, like about what's happening, uh, like about the situation in Ukraine. Like, so what? Why? Why do you think that that, that all the uh, prime ministers in uh, uh, Europe and stuff are just like uh, willingly uh, destroying their economies, just mm-hmm. in the hopes of weakening Russia? Like, it makes zero sense. Well, you brought up a really interesting point because that is exactly what's happening. I told you guys about people in the UK having to go to facilities called warm banks so that they can have heat because they can't pay like their heating bill, except for those, you know, those that are wealthy enough to be able to do so. Uh, you know, it's, it's really sad because usually it's the other way around, right? Like usually like some of these other countries are like, we, we're going to care about the people in the community first. We're going to take care of our people, right? And I think there was some pushback with that because I I remember, I think it was a couple months ago that Germany said we can't send any more money. I remember that. And I think France also was like, yeah, we can't be sending any more. We got they got to take care of their people. And it's like you go from that to, okay, yeah, we're going to send tanks to Ukraine. What the hell happened? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, how do you. So, yeah, the people in their country are suffering as a result. And it's it's really sad. So when I hear people at the World Economic Forum make these statements on a panel that we will continue to fight as long as it takes. Well, as long as it takes isn't good for people who live in those countries that can't afford to pay their heating bill, that can't afford 14 percent inflation. So you're willing to continue this war instead of calling for some type of peace and starve out your own people. This is really what we're talking about here, guys. This is the thing about being an ally. At some point, we have to ask the question, when is it okay as an ally to take a step back? And that's the thing. Germany and France, they're allies with us, with the United States government. So what Joe Biden says to do, they're going to go along with it. But at some point, even though you're supposed to be an ally, at some point you might have to just say, look, I'm sorry, but our people are struggling and suffering as a result of this. We can't stand by you this time. So you think that the uh, European countries are are destroying their economies just because uh, 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 Joe Biden wants them to? Well, the impression that I got from, at least in Germany's case, is that they didn't want to do this. They said that, or excuse me, seven, She's a member of the German parliament. She was on Democracy Now! And she said that the majority of the Germany, the German people actually did not want this to happen. So the government is going against the wills of of the people. That's coming from her, what she said. And so to me, it's just like, (sighs) this is the thing about, about the allyship. It's like the United States, even if we went to war with someone, right, those countries will back us because they're supposed to be our allies. But what I I guess what I'm asking is that if you see that the people are suffering and that the inflation is high, at what point do you step back from that allyship and say, I'm sorry, but I have to look out for my people? How far does this go, Karthik? Like, that's the thing. Like, how far 
I, I just don't, I don't get it. Like I really don't. And and this is why you see all the protests happening in France and, and the UK, all these people protesting thousands of people out in the, in the streets and things like that. These people are struggling. I think the inflation, I have to double check. Last time I checked the inflation percentage in the UK is higher than it is in the United States right now. Yeah, it's, it's higher in a lot of countries over there. So it's really sad. Like this, it's, I just, the, as long as it takes thing really, really bothered me. Like that really struck a chord with me because that means that people are going to continue to, to, to suffer for as long as it takes. That's what this really means. I, I hope the politicians over there are, are, are getting rich at least off of this because it just makes no sense as to why they're like destroying their own countries. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Uh, good talk, Savvy. I hope you uh, feel better about the interview because I thought you and Nick did a pretty good job considering Thank the circumstances. So Next Thank time. You. Thank you so much, Karthik. All right, I'm going to bring in Delthea. Whoops, I hit the wrong button. Shoot. Delthea, you are on the mic. <laughs> what is up, Miss Delthea? How you doing, Sabby? Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. You doing better? I- I'm doing a little bit better. I just, I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel like people are going to be coming after us about this for like who knows how long it just uh, haters gonna hate and, and, and nothing you can do about it except live your best life i'm gonna make this real quick um the united states doesn't have any business in the ukraine nobody else has any business in the ukraine Zelensky need to shut his damn mouth he talked more shit than a little bit and Putin has nuclear weapons, and we need to start acting like we know that. And yeah. on that happy note, have a good night. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jothia. Yes, yes, very much uh, well said there. I mean, people are acting like this is no big deal. You know, if he gets a little trigger happy, uh, Noel, I'm just going to make you a speaker because I know you um, usually have a lot to say. But people just get like a little trigger happy. You know, like what happens? What happens? Why are people not asking? Not everybody, but why are pe- people pretending like this is not a threat, like a nuclear threat? Just so it just it's it's really like Jesus. Even mainstream media, same thing. Let's go ahead and bring in Sile. Sile. It might be a longer name, but maybe cut off. It's okay, Sile. How are you? Sile. Nice How to are talk you? to you. It's my first time, I think. Uh, yeah, I wanted to answer some of the questions that have been asked. Um, Petro also, Petro is the president of Colombia. He also refused. He, he the, the CELAC, which is the, uh, the summit for Latin American countries and the Caribbean, took place a few days ago in Argentina, where I am. And they talk about this. And Petro declared, and this was made public as well, that Laura Richardson, who is the South, the general in head of the South Command, you have something like that in the US, we don't really know what it does, but uh, offered nine countries that had previously bought uh, Russian um, armament, 
armament uh, to donate those for Ukraine, donate those to Ukraine, and the U.S. would, in a way, like better the relationship with the country, invest more, and somehow, I don't know how, she didn't specify, uh, give weapons instead of the ones that were being sent. Uh, Petro, like this woman said this in public, right? And along with how many resources we have or how much she wants them, apparently. Uh, and yeah, they, they have this communication by phone with Petro and he said no, then Lula said no. Uh, Schultz was here uh, a few days ago on Friday in Argentina. And well, here he didn't ask for anything because like we don't have any work, from, so we cannot uh, be in there. But it's, it's a position, right? Like uh, the, the most of the countries in South America, and yeah, maybe all Latin America, but I'm sure about South America, took this position. They are against the war, the invasion from Russia, because it's mainly pacifist nations, and they are completely against uh, the, the sanctions, right, that were implemented to Russia. Okay. And Zelensky wanted to take part in uh, last year in a meeting in the Mercosur, you know, how he always goes and do this video thing, and that was denied because they said that Zelensky has nothing to do in a Mercosur meeting. Mercosur is uh, Paraguay, Argentina, Uruguay, and Brazil, but it has a lot of other invited uh, um, regional governments as well. So I think that it's a position, right? Like uh, this war is, is, is not right and putting sanctions of, of, of Russia on Venezuela or anywhere is not right. So they give different excuses. Petra so said that. Yeah, go okay, ahead. so it sounds like the Global South is is not really signing off on a lot of this. That they're not no, they're, they're not cool. No, they're not cool. They are asking actually the tweet from Petros was very specific. I think I have it around here. He said the best thing that can happen to humanity is the peace between Ukraine and Russia and Russia, not the pro the prolonging or prolongation of the world. I won't help to uh, prolong any war. Instead, mm -hmm. I ask uh, that uh, to the international court that one country's aggression against the other be considered uh, a crime. But not invasions and not uh, blockades. He, he finished the tweet. So, well, that's, that's good to hear. I wish I would have... Oh, shoot. I already did the live stream, but I wish I would have... Um... I wish I knew that before I went live because I, I could have talked about both of them, but maybe I can bring that up again um, a later stream and talk about uh, Pedro as well. Yeah, there was this this Pence, uh, Mike Pence, you know, he was in the region uh, a few years ago while Trump was the president and he was asking uh, the president to unite in, in invading um, Venezuela right before the Ukraine, apparently they were shopping for a war before the Ukraine war started and they needed to sell weapons so, uh, and they refused as well. So it's, it's kind of a global, like, like a regional thing, right? Interesting. That's interesting. I, I wish like more countries will sign on. Like it'll be interesting to see if where other countries will stand. 
like as 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 this war is prolonged it'll be interesting to see well there most of the country like the, there is different like different wings in mm-hmm. you know uh and the thing is when they try to do the same with venezuela even the right wing government said no and there is nine countries that are the ones that they are offering this because sometimes is is also has to do with with the needs of the country right like uh, i'm not justifying anything but there is these negotiations like assange right like he was uh, delivered by the ecuadorians while yeah. he's uh, got in the same month an imf loan right so these things are don't happen by chance there is this and there is a lot right now there's a lot of activity in this in this this of destabilization of the south american countries um they have according to lula at not me they have a foreign financing and there are many many countries that are on the left and we are trying to make a common currency in order to step away from dollars so it's been hard it's been hard right now lately because of all these interventions because sometimes are economic sometimes are are uh, how do you put it like yeah threat whatever where are you But, um, yes uh, remind me where are you in argentina you're in argentina, argentina. okay Mm-hmm. in Buenos Aires like he was Schultz was right there, right here like two days ago he started his his yeah he's been like he was the one that asked Lula for for the the guns uh, for the arms and in the case of Petro it was a call from this woman from the south command school you should see this woman mm-hmm. uh, like vision about south america and how it's very important to for the US not to allow China get our resources but they that is the US who should have them and mm. it's so scary it's really scary and yeah but the thing is that they are denying i don't think many of these countries also have uh, relations with russia commercial relations or in the case of lula he's on the brics right this yep. uh, and so i'm not sure they want to like also get on the wrong side of putting either because why would they interesting thank you so much i'm i'm always happy to hear from international callers um oh but sometimes i don't call because is if it's something very local i don't have really much to say so but thank you for taking me thank you so much All right. Uh I'm going to bring in CR but uh really quick Noel, I want to go ahead and invite you to speak and then we'll follow up with CR. Go ahead. Okay, good evening everybody. Um my thinking is that Lula is thinking about the, you know, multipolarity of the, you know, international alignment and with him focusing on trying to build this um BRICS thing which includes Russia and China I would think that they just wouldn't want to be you know politically out of alignment with the people that they're trying to build a type of new economic solidarity with but I also think disproportionately the countries in the global south especially South America 
have experienced firsthand the underhanded ways that America can operate. And I think in light of, you know, what has gone on with Venezuela and the attempts on Maduro's life when he was in office and this and that, and then him trying to establish this proxy president, you know, it's just like ridiculous. And I think there is less trust in the United States and the way the United States just, you know, apply sanctions to people because trying to bend them to its will. I think the global South has really a bad taste in its mouth and legitimately. So I think on the flip side, um, the European Union depends so much on the U.S. in terms of trade and things of that nature and also the power of U.S. banking industry. I think they exert a lot of leverage over um, Europe and Germany in particular because of their um, proximity in terms of geographics to Ukraine makes them a critical link because it would be much easier to get certain things to Ukraine through Germany than otherwise. And so Germany is under a lot of pressure and it's not just the U.S., it's the U.S. and Britain. So those two make up a powerful block in that Western thing. And um, but I think it's ultra dangerous because, you know, we never know what things will turn up. And, and this is definitely an escalation. There's no other way to look at it. And I just don't think people understand because we have not seen war on our soil per se, saving for 9-11. And we got different opinions on that. But I just think it's really a dangerous thing. And I think Lula and the Global South are making the right choices. But um, I think it, you know, there's just the potential for things to really go bad because America is still trying to be a unipolar dominant force in what is clearly a multipolar world, a multipolar reality. And so I just think it's bad. Well said. I'm going to go ahead and bring in CR. Uh, you know, the United States government actually doesn't want it, even the countries that are our allies, like Germany and the UK, the United States government doesn't want those uh, countries to pass the U.S. either. Go ahead. Hey, good to hear from all y'all. Hope you're all having a wonderful Sunday. Got some breaking news. War is over. If we want it to be. How so, CR? If we want it to be, it's a it's a old hippie thing from the sixties. Oh, <laughs> you know, they, 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 when they're you know protesting the war, the Vietnam, they would hold big signs that would say "War is over," and under the bottom, in very small print, it would say "If you want it to be." So there's just uh, there's just not enough of that. There's not enough of us there that want it to. Be. We do obviously here. Uh, um, but yeah, this, this stuff will march forward. Uh, um, well, that brings up another question. What happened to the anti-war movement that we had in this country during the Vietnam War? Uh, the draft probably had a, a large portion to do with that. Uh, um, also seeing the violence firsthand because Vietnam, I believe, actually was the last war where they let news agencies just go raw live. You know, and we see the footage of them burning villages and, and things like that, right? Uh, um, 
So we don't see that. We have a very much more sanitized uh, version of war in our minds, uh, a very Hollywood-fied version of war in our minds. And I think at that time, uh, with the you know an awakening uh, a consciousness of, of the uh, the next generation, also with being confronted very viscerally and vis- visually of uh, uh, that thing, and just the, the larger number of people coming back and and being against the war after they've been over there, you know, so those are conservative people maybe often, you know, where they're not the if they signed up and weren't drafted, I mean, you know, but then they came back and maybe weren't anti-war. They they went they went to war, so they weren't anti-war originally, but then they came home and they threw their medals away. Right. So, so you would think was... that you would think that the people that were around during that time for the Vietnam War, you would think they would remember that, right? I, I would think so too. I just think that it, it, it's it seems more of an shared experience, definitely. You know, with things like the draft, things like having, you know, the graphic images displayed to us. Um, I, I have, in terms of uh, uh, Lula, though, I have a question because I'm not I'm not super educated on their their weapons manufacturing but as far as i know they're not they're not like germany or russia or the united states or you know whatever any of these other companies that are very heavily heavily invested in in their military industrial complexes that i know of right so asking brazil to get in i mean it's not like they as far as i know that i mean do they have is brazil really big into making tanks and shit I'm not sure. That's that's actually a good question. If anyone that's in the queue to call in knows the answer to that, you know, let us know when you come on. Um, but that is a good question. Because to me, that that that's really more of a thing. Because uh, I have this issue with picking sides uh, so much on this thing right here. I think I'm I'm personally when, when people say, "Well, I'm not pro Ukraine or pro Russia or anybody being right. I'm pro peace. I'm anti-war." I don't really have a side in either one of this. I think there's plenty of culpability to go on both sides. I, you know, obviously provoked by the United States and NATO, but a hundred percent, but I don't, I don't absolve Russia. I don't, I don't favor Russia. I don't want Russia to quote unquote win. I want just the hostilities to stop. That's just my point of view. So I don't really like the whole playing sides, even when somebody looks like they're choosing the right side. Mm-hmm. I think it's better. I think it's better if we just came out and was just like, oh, you know, not like we're not going to get involved. No, we're not going to send the stuff, but just know like peace. Now, everybody at the table, like that's the only thing that anybody that's opposed to this war should be saying, I, I think at this point, you know, not like, oh, you know, Russia's got a point or NATO's got a point because that's we're just playing into their their system. So I, I think that that's also probably a large factor, like with Brazil, obviously bricks, right, that them being financially linked directly to, to, to Russia in a large way. Yeah. Um, but really, but really what, what, yeah, I'd be curious if anybody else knows, like, yeah, maybe there are a bunch of Brazilian tanks and rocket launchers and stuff like that. I've just never personally heard of them uh, uh, um, being that big of a, a player on the thing. So they're not, so where's the business incentive? I'm you know, being a little cynical here, but mm. where's the business incentive for Brazil to get involved in this? There's a huge incentive for NATO. There's a huge incentive for the United States and the military uh, uh, contractors in our thing, of course, and then they buy the politicians and they, you know, rig the game so that they can continue to keep, you know, finding the next war, finding the next war that goes for the profit of the thing. And we, we argue about, you know, the morality of the thing and who's right and is this side right or that side right. They don't care about what side. They don't care about anybody's right. They just, as long as they get to keep producing weapons. And then the more yep. that we produce weapons, the more that that leads to our, our hegemony and our, our, 
grasp on the supposed, you know, uh, unipolarity that's just obviously slipping away. So I, I, to me, I just don't see where Brazil would get any real financial incentive. And if there was, wouldn't Bolsonaro have been more likely to like jump? To, he didn't really jump in either, as far as no. I know. So, no. Um, so I, I don't really give Lula a whole lot of. Pre- I mean, it's the right thing to say, of course, to say like, ah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna send those things over there. But I think from a more cynical point of view, there's just nothing financially in it, and it could possibly sour a key business partner, if that makes sense. He also, uh, in the Guardian article, Lula also blamed both countries. He blamed Russia, he blamed uh, Ukraine, and he actually the U.S. too. He also blamed the United States. So he said all of them are responsible. Um, and you're not hearing that from a lot of people, right? <laughs> like like you yeah. said, most people are choosing a side. And, I mean, we need to start asking ourselves that question as well. Like, why why do people feel like they have to pick a side? Like, part of it could be because people are smeared if they don't. Uh, even some of the people that are calling for peace are being called Putin puppets. Now, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am, I'm bummed that there's the, I don't know where the fucking anti-war movement is here in this country right now. I that 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 vexes me mm-hmm. especially after 20 years in afghanistan you would think it would be stronger now there is going to be a rally um in dc february 19th i'll be there it's the uh rage against the war machine rally so i'm going to be there I, I it sounds like so far it sounds like it's going to be a good turnout uh and i'm going to live stream it so i am looking forward to that and and when i go there that's one of the things i'm going to be looking for is 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 this the anti-war movement? Like, do we have the numbers? And if not, like, we need to find a way to increase those numbers because I feel like the anti-war voices are not being heard by the masses. Our mics are a little too small, like, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just about to say the same thing. I don't see this anywhere in any of the mainstream. No, like, they're not inviting anti-war voices onto CNN, Fox News, or, well, no, Fox News has brought someone. Um, or MSNBC. They're just not inviting those people on. This is why, like, you would never see them invite, like, uh, Max Blumenthal or Aaron Maté or, or Caleb Maupin. Like, you would never see them invite those people on for this discussion. Mm-hmm. It's it, That's that's the, the, the telling thing, too, here that I, I find that, that bothers me the most is that generally when something is in enough people's minds, regardless of the machine suppresses it, it still pokes its head out, right? It still gets, it still pops and, you know, you get, you get some viral tweets, you get a, you know, a YouTube video, everybody's circulating or something. It breaks through that, that, that mainstream media membrane. But right now I, I'm hardly seeing any of it break through. I'm, and to me, that either says that the, 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 the propaganda and the, the censorship machine has become so good that it can it can stop any of that stuff that starts to percolate before it can really break through, or we as a collective conscience, as a society, have something really fucked up going on. All right, there That's there's right. a, I think that and I hate I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I tend to lean more towards that, that we can't just blame this on some faceless apparatus that is that is is indeed out there is indeed controlling the narrative more so than anybody can possibly really wrap their head around. But we ourselves have been so conditioned 
now to be in our insular lives and I only get to worry about me and, and I got to get mine and the grind set mentality that everybody pushes. Now you just got to get out there and grind, work 16 hours a day. Well, you're out there grinding. When do you have time to care about anybody else? Mm. And, when, and when that's the thing, right? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everybody's got to be popping online. Your fit's got to be looking good. You got to be showing up at the nice fucking clubs. You got to be taking your brunch photos. Yep. You got to be putting those out all the fucking time. Otherwise, you don't exist in the social world now. So it, it's, 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 it behooves all of us to uh, uh, cut the vocal cords of the animal before we, we dissect it alive. You know what I mean? That's, that's, the, that's, that's the thing. that we, we, we've, we've cut the collective vocal cord of our consciousness. We are the scientists that are performing live vivisections on animals. And you know what they do? They cut the dog's vocal cord first. So when they cut it open alive, you can't hear the screams. You're right. You're right. And I think you had a good point about people seeing the images, like the actual images of kids uh, dying in Vietnam during like the war, uh, who obviously they had nothing to do with this, but the civilians that were killed. And I think if even if we look at the protests that are happening right now in reference to Tyree, you know, Tyree, for those who don't know, this is the, the gentleman that was beaten up by the police and he he died. Like they basically beat him to death. Notice the protest didn't start until after the body cam footage was released. And that's exactly. when people hit the, hit the streets. Same thing with George Floyd. Once people saw the, the, the video, the actual video, people were like, nope, we got to hit the streets. But the video footage that you see of, of a lot of these wars, especially this one with Russia and Ukraine or mainstream media, it is not to make Ukraine look bad. They're only showing the video footage that makes Russia look bad. And on top of that, they're not showing any civilian casualties. Yeah. They don't even tell us. I mean, we have, there have to be, there has to be civilian casualties. There has to be a friendly fire. These are all harsh realities of every single war that's ever existed, but yet we don't hear anything about that. We don't see anything about that. In fact, the only things you, have, you see are all these, these little short four or five second clips of some yep. fancy missile taking out their target with such precision, like, oh, isn't that wonderful? Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the visual is important. And remember what they did to Julian Assange. Like, that's one of the reasons why Julian Assange is in prison, but because he revealed the U.S. war crimes. I still remember the video. It was a black and white video, and it showed that there were kids in the van. And you can hear U.S. troops say there's kids in that van. And they go ahead and they blow it up anyway. So that's why, like, someone like him who was revealing that type of information, it was like, people need to see this footage that's why they locked him away because they said, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot let them know about the civilian casualties. But I think also um, we as a country have become so acclimated to war. I mean, yep. when you yep. really think about it, we've had a couple of generations to grow up knowing nothing other than us being involved in war. And so I think it's, it's a difficult thing when you have the actual manufacturer of consent then the U.S. population is so self-consumed that we really don't look outside to see what's going on in the rest of the world because it's that American, you know, thing. Um, and it's just, it feeds all the wrong things. But in addition to this, because of the change in our media um, ecosphere, 
you don't get an invitation for the other voices to be heard. And, you know, so we're not being fed a balanced uh, media diet, but it's all one sided. And so the anti-war sentiment, I think, is simmering. But again, I think it lacks the um, opportunity. And then when you consider the fact that in this country, the wealth disparity is so great. And it's not just to say that there's a super rich elite at the top, but the mass is at the bottom from whom a lot of this wealth has been extracted. They are rightfully preoccupied with existence. You know, we have the homeless thing. We're coming out of this you know, pandemic thing, or at least slowing down in the pandemic thing. But we stay hyped up about one thing or another, just about survival. And then, like you say, to add on top of that, these the mass brutality, um, police brutality that the black community and black and brown community disproportionately suffers. I think the bandwidth, the emotional bandwidth of the American public is just getting narrow and narrower with response to empathizing with and recognizing what role this nation is playing. You know, we couldn't get out of Afghanistan before we are proxy warring with Ukraine and Russia. So it's just never a breathing. Yeah. Let's remember what Glenn Greenwald said when he was on, he said, now what's going to happen after this, all of the weapons that ended up, in the wrong hands. Like I told you guys, some of the weapons actually ended up in Africa, weapons that were supposed to be sent to Ukraine. He said, that'll be the next the next uh, conflict to go after. Oh, we gotta go after these militia groups that ended up with the arms that we sent. So we have to go after those groups and that'll be another conflict to get involved in. Operation Fast and Furious. I mean, we did this, we gave guns to people that, that we were going after. Like we've worked, we're, that's how dumb we are. We'll even come up with a fucking program that does that exact thing. We're yeah. that, we'll do it right in the open. We don't give a flying shit. We'll arm you and then come in there and fuck you up. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> the same thing happened during the, the first Gulf War, if you remember back mm-hmm. in 91. Uh, we sold a lot of those guns that they tried to use against us. But because, you know, we didn't really tell them, oh, they're extremely difficult. They're finicky. They take lots of training. A lot of uh, uh, the people there that were had wep- our weapons that they were trying to shoot at our things just got up and abandoned them and left as we were rolling into town because they're like, we can't even use this superior firepower you guys gave us. It's just a waste of our time. And, and they, they fled. Um, but here, here's something. I have a question. Body cam footage has become very much the norm now. We get a lot of this stuff. And I see that that is not creating like all these different type of visuals that we've been talking about the last few minutes. It's still not creating that effect. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like that it, you, you, if, if body cams were effective, then we wouldn't be constantly getting body cam footage of a police needlessly murdering somebody. Mm-hmm. But this is why yeah. I say reforms don't work. It's not enough. You have to change the yes. complete system. You yeah. really do. Like the policing system hasn't, on a national level, it hasn't improved like that. There have been some local wins that have happened, like since the George Floyd protests. Uh, but on the national level, nah. Like it's it's still it's still an issue. You have the police state. You have the prison industrial complex as well, and they go hand in hand. 
So you have to really like, this is, this is the whole defund thing. And like, I know some people are critical of defund the police, but the idea is that you, you defund those police departments and put that money back into black and brown uh, neighborhoods to help get people out of poverty. And some of these police departments, like, I don't know if people are aware of this. Some of these police departments are getting millions of dollars, you guys, and they ain't solving no crimes. So what do you need more money for? You don't need more money unless they're trying to continue to militarize the police, just like Cop City. That's what that's all about. And to stop movements, these mass protests like we had during George Floyd. That's that's the next game. That's what they're trying to do. That's why they want to give them more money, because they don't want people uprising like that again. Look, before the body cam footage had even uh, been released, Joe Biden was already calling for let's be peaceful. Let's not have any destruction like all of them. Kamala, Joe Biden, because they already knew. They already knew. And then when the footage was eventually released, I was like, it was disgusting what they did to that guy. Absolutely disgusting. But see, they don't really want you. They can say, you know, our thoughts and prayers as much as they want and say that their their hope is with the family as much as they want. But if you're not trying to change the actual system and they have the power to do that, then they're complicit. If if they care that much about the family and about Tyree, why are they giving more money to the police? Because they know that what this is going to, what, what it's going to, you know, it's just like how we pour weapons into a destabilized place in the Middle East, you know, like the, the moderate rebels that we armed, because we know damn good and well that, you know, if ISIS does get defeated, then then we'll just be fighting Al-Misra, we'll be fighting all the, you know, the, the Al-Qaeda, we'll be fighting all these other people that we just gave guns to fight, that we keep a, a perpetual system going of where you need us. Right. So the more that they ignore that systemic issue, continue to arm the police who are helping to destabilize uh, the area and protect capital, not people, protect property, not persons. They're going mm-hmm. to continue to see this cycle and no, no, no nation is as dumb as ours is that dumb to where they can't see that cyclical thing. You know, uh, uh, um, like I remember I brought up for the one police chief guy that was from, uh, over there uh, on the East Coast, he was there in the 70s and he came back in the, later in the aughts and was surprised to see the exact same streets that he was patrolling back in the 70s with the exact same ones that they were patrolling and the crime and the drug. And nothing had gone down. And yet they, had, they all continued to heavily patrol these areas that had been doing for 30, 40 years. It's like, okay, so 30, 40 years, you guys didn't figure out your strategy. Was it fucking working? And, and and he was saying in the interview that, yes, our strategy isn't working the way that we train police, the way we do policing is fundamentally flawed. So that, that to me, again, goes back to the, our conscious here. How conscious are we really of the issue, right? That, 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 that the system itself is so fractured and dysfunctional or it is functional in a way that just doesn't function for us or doesn't function for the, for the, the 99%. But it, it, from our eyes, from our angle, it is extremely dysfunctional. And there's always some incremental attempt to just kind of tinker around the edges when we know that you have to tear it down. Well, if you say tear it down, abolish the police, defund the police, and any most individual who is scared property owner, middle class, that sounds terrifying to them. Yep. Why does it sound terrifying to them? Because that system in place has protected them for so long, has favored them in their neighborhoods and their property. In their possessions. 
So, so you're, you're asking individuals to go against their own survival aspect in a sense that you're like, no, forego that peace and, and prosperity that you've been having in the suburbs and, and in the rich neighborhoods and in the gated communities in order to solve a systemic issue. And they're going to go, no, 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 what are you talking about systemic issue? The system is working just fine from my angle. So that's, yep. where I, that's where I say it's like we can argue to the cows come home about what the thing, this thing should do, that do, until we get to people themselves and get them to fundamentally understand that cops only solve 2% or less of major crimes. It's yep. been shown continually that increasing, because if just increasing the police and the number of foots on the ground, that New York City would have been the most peaceful city on the fucking planet at a certain point. You know what I mean? If it was just that, it was just if we could give you more money, we could give you more guns, and we could give you more men, then then we could solve the problem. If that was it, that would have worked decades ago. So well, we the know police, that this stuff doesn't work. Well, the police in San Francisco didn't even prevent Paul Pelosi from being hit in the head with the hammer. We saw the vi- we have the video footage now, so they were standing right there. They didn't even stop that. How were they <laughs> Like they were standing right there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So we have to get people to understand is that, that what you believe in, although it's, and this is, this is a fucking mountain of a problem that I don't think me or really anybody else, maybe in my lifetime will be able to really tackle, but we got to start chipping away at it. That we can't argue about budgets and how much and how little. We have to get these people who benefit the most from this system as it is to see the fundamental dysfunction in that mm-hmm. system beyond their own own material needs. Like I said, they've cut the vocal cords of the, you know, of the beast that is the system. So they feel fine torturing it for their own ends because they don't hear the screams anymore. And when you, once you tune yourself to that and you understand what am I doing to myself, to my community, to my environment, you know what I mean? To my city, to my state, to my country, to my planet. What are all the things that I'm doing and contributing to that disharmoniousness, you know, fucking up the balance of things. And, and, and unless we, people are going to go that deep, which I, I do admit it's a little new agey and kind of deep, but that's really where I feel like we have to go. You know what I mean? That's the last thing I'll say. It's just like, I, I just want people to look beyond picking a side and try to get people to fundamentally understand that our collective humanity is what's at stake here. Our ability to live and thrive and survive together far into the future is really what's at stake here, not whether or not your fucking neighborhood is safe or you made enough money on your goddamn stock options or, or whatever the case may be. But that's, you know, that's an almost impossible mountain to climb, but I encourage everybody to do so. Thank you so much for calling in, CR. Thanks so much for that. I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Gator, if it lets me. Okay, yeah, it does. Uh, go ahead, Gator. You're on the mic. Hey, Subby. How you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, yeah, just about kind of the South American Brazilian thing. Uh, just to answer some one of the questions that was getting floated, um, Silly was right in the comments to raise um, that Laura Richardson has been doing the rounds in South America to try to get many countries to donate weapons, uh, donate in inverted commas, weapons to Ukraine. And one of the pieces of logic there is that these are countries that hold um, arsenals from the former Soviet Union stroke Russia. And therefore, it makes sense to go and scavenge from them because Ukraine will therefore be be more familiar with operating, maintaining that arsenal instead of 
um, the stuff that it's not familiar with coming from the West, like t Leopard tanks and M1s at Columbia, um, flat out refused and said, apparently, we're neutral, ain't our problem, we're not giving anyone anything. And uh, I don't know exactly what, what other South American countries have done. But when it comes to Brazil, um, I don't think that necessarily applies. And what the, one of the things I'd ask is, ultimately, when it comes to Brazil and their strategic alliance with Russia in the BRICS, regardless of whether Lula is a US stooge, uh, I make this point in the comments very early on. It's, it's, you've got to look at things like balance sheets, leverage, gearing, soft power, hard power in order to determine what Brazil is actually going to do and what's, it's, what's in its interests. Because even if Lula can, in his presidency, essentially withdraw from the BRICS in such a meaningful sense that he realigns more directly with US interests, I'd argue that it's probably difficult to do. And according to statements he's made that have been reported in TASS, which I'd shoved some links to, um, it actually remains the, the current public stance um, of Brazil to remain um, within the BRICS structure. And so obviously, taking a physical, physically taking a side in the Ukraine conflict by supporting uh, the, the, the Western um, efforts with money or, or, or guns is probably going to make that BRICS position trickier. And so because political rhetoric is literally free, you might as well just say, no, guys, we don't support the war. Both sides should stand down and get on with it. And if you look then as also at key, key measures like, for example, how nations vote in the UN, prior to Lula getting in, Brazil voted in support of Russia's submission of evidence for biolabs to the UN and a request to um, conduct uh, chemical biological weapons analysis um, which the UN refused. And they also, I think, um, there was some other votes, I can't remember now, but I think Brazil kind of abstained um, rather than voted in, in the favour of, in the way that the US wanted people to vote, which are all indications of kind of what Brazil's strategic standpoint is. And it's watching for a change in that kind of forum that's more indicative of anything you'll read in the press because anyone can say anything and they're not accountable but they are accountable when they put their money down or they put down a vote at the UN because that's what kind of gets, that's a measure of a country in another country's eyes. So that's kind of my sort of opinion-ish on Brazil. When it comes to the sort of German tank side of things, I mean, this is not my analysis at all. Plenty of commentators that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, Brian Balletic, <clears throat> Scott Ritter, Douglas McGregor, they all point out that all of these weapons that are being shifted need manpower to operate it and that manpower needs to be skilled and competent not just basically operating uh, capable because that's not fighting fighting is exceeding the limits of the machine and working as a team to extremes in order to actually prosecute war effectively if you train a crew on the most expensive or complex tank the m1 which can cut your hand off if you close the hatches wrong and amongst other things and you give them the minimum amount of training and then put them into the field, they're not going to win because they'll be taken out by people who are much more tactically effective. And so the question then becomes, if 
Uh, oh, yeah, there's a version of the M1 as well that doesn't even have depleted uranium armor, which is the export model, which means that it's that without that armor and without explosive reactive armor, then it's basically vulnerable to standardized anti-tank weapons. So there's all of these kind of questions about what exactly is Ukraine getting from the US? And then if you look at kind of the other side of things, which is um, what tanks are being provided by other nations. I think if you add up the total number of the pledges, you get to about 100 tanks from about seven or eight countries with a few on the, on the sidelines umming and ahhing. But what tactical advantage or strategic advantage can they render <clears throat> to Ukraine at this point in the game? It becomes about timing and lead timing. So if, if it takes a minimum lead time to train a crew on a tank, and that only starts today, then you basically don't get the benefit of the weapon until three, five months' time, whenever it gets into theatre, and then you're at the basic operator level. Well, Russia's already making a counter move now and, ha and is just constantly grinding through its own war plan. So you're not really getting a military advantage as, as, as Russia continuously kills manpower, right? And then the question then becomes, if the, if the tanks enter the theatre before the minimum training time for a fresh Ukrainian head, those tanks must be either suboptimally operated or operated by non-Ukrainian forces. So that means that that would be a total, another, yet another, overt confirmation that multiple other countries are in direct war with the US, which is, I mean, sorry, with Russia, which has now been constantly publicly acknowledged by German, Germany statements. And I mean, all the politicians are now starting to say what we what they already admit, what they knew from the beginning, that this is a war between the West, US, EU, NATO and Russia. That's what it's always been. So the tanks, the tank, the extra weaponry that's getting sent in can only matter if it can be used effectively by enough people. And I and, and the tactical the sort of military analysts who seem to be right, who stand the back test of time, basically say, no, it's too little, too late. Uh, it won't make a difference, ultimately. Interesting. Thank you so much for that uh, perspective, Gator. Robin, I'm going to go ahead and bring you in here. And guys, I do have a hard stop at seven because I have a, um, I have another appointment. So it won't be a long, crazy, like, call in, like, a lot of times, um, Cheers, Abby. I'm happy to hop off. All the best to you. Thanks so much. Go ahead, Robin, and I'll bring in Steve as well. Yes. Uh, hi, Sabby. Hi. I think your volume's a little low. Oh, hold on. I think I know what the problem is. Uh, let me see. Hello, and I'm trying to... Better? Yeah, that's better. I'm trying to figure out. I thought the game was coming on. I'm sorry. The game, the game is on right now, girl. So you know that's why how much I like being with you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying to, I'm trying to play it in the background. <laughs> the first game is already gone. Now, thankfully, that was a blowout, so I, that wasn't too big of a deal. And the first, this next game is just starting. They coming out on the field, coming out of the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, so. Uh, I'm going to make this real quick because uh, you're cutting into my football time right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thanks for thanks for letting me call in. Um, so one of the questions that you asked was, where has the anti-war movement gone? And there's there's a lot of things about that. And, and again, I would go back to one of the callers that, that mentioned, and maybe you even mentioned that, 
a lot of that changed uh, again with the Vietnam War, and I won't rehash a lot of the things that have already been said, but one of the biggest things that has changed is, uh, if people will recall, uh, a lot of the people that served in Vietnam were drafted, and we have not had a draft since the Vietnam War. Because of the draft, almost everybody in the United States knew someone who served in Vietnam. Either they went to college with them or they were their, you know, their brother or whatever. My, you know, my uncle was drafted into the Vietnam War. Uh, my dad tried to volunteer. and Thankfully, they told him, no, man, you, you can't go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully, you know, thankful. I'm thankful for the, the army for uh, denying my father. But um, a lot of times it's a big deal. You know, it's hard to drum up a large anti-war movement if you don't know anybody that serves in the military. And I, I think that there's less than 5% of the American people that even know someone who's in the military, much less someone who served overseas in like, you know, Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. So because the impact of war to Americans is so concentrated in such small areas, mainly in the rural South and stuff, stuff like that, it's hard to generate that nationwide anti-war movement because so many of these people, particularly on the left, just don't know anybody that's in the military. Um, that's a good then, point. Yeah. And then also, too, the military industrial complex was very good at conflating anti-war with anti-troop. And so, like, for example, when the um, when the, the the servicemen came back from the uh, from World War Two, a lot of them came back as whole platoons. And because it was a popular war, they came back to a hero's welcome and so forth. But if you were drafted, you didn't necessarily go out as, you know, platoons from, you know, one area of town or whatever. You went out together, you came back together you know, you may have gone out with a, you know, you were drafted and you went out from a platoon or whatever, but when you came back, you came back alone. And because there was so much anti-war sentiment or whatever, a lot of those service members in Vietnam were treated with such disdain and scorn. They were spit upon and everything. And so it was almost like the pendulum sw uh, swung the opposite way where the ire against the Vietnam War was projected upon the servicemen and women who served there, many of whom did not serve voluntarily. They didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily go there because they wanted to go there. They thought that they were going because it was their call of literal call of duty. And then they come back to this backlash. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got a situation where, you know, if you're anti-war, it's almost like you're saying you're anti-troops when re in reality, to be anti-war is actually, I think, pro-troops because you're like, why would you want to send somebody overseas to fight a war that has nothing to do with us? To me, that's that's the ultimate uh, uh, pro-troop thing that you can do. But the military industrial complex has done a really good job of of twisting that. And then also, too, uh, it can't be uh, understated how a lot of those people that were anti-war during the Vietnam era have now been co-opted by the military industrial complex. For example, 
one of the biggest examples you could say would be John Kerry. John no. Kerry, <laughs> you know, John Kerry went to Vietnam and everything. And remember, he went back, he came back and he testified in front of, you know, some some Senate committee or, or House committee or whatever. And um, as an anti-war person and stuff. And then when it t- came time for him to run for president, then they drug him for, you know, um, uh, testifying against the Vietnam War, and then he was when it came to the Iraq War, he you know his vote of, I was for it before I was against it, and then that just you know that was terrible for him, and so I think that a lot of people that would have a natural inclination to be anti-war see examples like that, and then you know uh, it just they they don't want to go down the path. Same thing with Michael Dukakis, you know mm-hmm. I mean you could say that Michael Dukakis was was a, a may have been a traditionally anti-war person and everything, but then they mocked him in that, you know, riding that stupid tank or whatever with the helmet on. And he looked like a, I don't know, Super Mario Brothers person. and just, you know, <laughs> made him look ridiculous. Bill Clinton dodged, was a war dodger. Remember, he, he dodged yep. the Vietnam War, but then he escalated and did all of these strikes and things all over the world and stuff like that. Same with George W. Bush, draft dodge, well, he didn't draft dodge, he joined the, the Texas National Guard um, to stay out of actually going to Vietnam, you know, and then uh, put us in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Barack Obama started off saying that going into Iraq was a stupid thing to do. But then what did he do? He drug us into Libya and Syria and all these other types of, you know, foreign things. So it's like, it, they, 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 I don't know what, it, what goes on in Washington. I don't know if it's in the water or what it is, but something, when you get down into the deep state, into the weeds of Washington, it's like a, 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 a switch flips in these people's heads. Mm-hmm. And those people that either started off as anti-war or had anti-war inclinations, it just, it, they turn on their heads to where even with Barack Obama in the New York Times, he talked about how he lit, he had a literal kill list and was very proud when he would be able to cross people off of his kill list and stuff. Um, it's so crazy. It really is. And, uh, so I don't know how we how we change that, uh, but you know it just it's it's a it's just a terrible situation. But I think the biggest thing is again is that most people don't know anybody in the military, don't know anybody that's been deployed, and so they have not been personally impacted by it to have that nationwide upswell of anti-war sentiment. And then also too, because war has become a lot more di- uh, digital in terms of airstrikes and things like that, as opposed to the boots on the ground, you know, where you, uh, where you don't have the, uh, the, the massive casualties coming back like we had during the Vietnam War. And so it, because it's a lot less personal and it doesn't hit as close to home as my cousin, my brother, you know, my uncle died in a war uh, on the nationwide scale, it's harder to drum up that sentiment uh, if it doesn't hit close to home. Um, regarding uh, Lula and, and their not wanting to get involved or at least not wanting to uh, provide military aid to, to Ukraine, that is a big deal. And I think it's a positive deal. Uh, what I will say about that is, you know, to everybody, just keep looking out because the U.S. is not going to take kindly to this at all. You know, mm-hmm. anybody who has is, is, uh, paid attention to history 
since World War II knows that, you know, the U.S. controls, you know, controls, and I'm putting this in quotes, the Western Hemisphere. And so if anybody is out in the Western Hemisphere is out of lockstep with what we want them to do, um, I would say anything that happens in Brazil regarding Lula or any in, in, in that faction, look at that with a little bit of side eye. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Because, um, you know, not that I say to say that I'm not glad that he's doing it, but any anything else that comes out of there that's that's negative, just look, because you, no, no way the U.S. is just going to sit here and just and just let him, you know, uh, uh, take that stance. And then not something else happen within the next one to two years, you know, that where people are going, oh, yeah, he's terrible, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Now, with that, um, also, though. I will say, you know, even though I'm glad that he's taking this stance, you know, I think about uh, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald when, you know, on his system update thing and how he was talking about how one of the judges in, in uh, Brazil had sent out some memo to all of the social media and was just like, you just got to ban all these people. And if you don't, you, they got to pay like $20,000 a day, you know, yep. and they didn't give any reason for it and stuff like that. And this this kind of kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, to where it's just like um, with the media and uh, and and the the so, social media and big media and the government and things like that. You can't trust any of these jokers. That they may do good in one area, and then in a whole another area, they they you know they do all of this backhanded stuff. And it's just like you know, yeah, I like what Brazil is doing over here, but this thing where they just telling. Twitter and stuff, just take stuff down. Otherwise, we're going to sanction you and shut you down. That's crazy. Or even with Elon Musk. You know, I love that Elon Musk is doing is uh, allowing this files thing to go along. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that we have all of this information that's coming out. But then, you know, we heard this past week that uh, uh, India came up and said, oh, well, we didn't like that BBC documentary that was against our prime minister or whatever. And you better take it down. And then what does what does Elon do? He takes it down. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So it's just like there are no there are no pure actors, in, in any of these things, you know. So it's just like there, you know, it's it's not a good guy versus bad guy thing. It's all so complicated, all the way around. Um, and uh, and I guess that's that's the thing that that we as consumers of information have to remember that we can't just be, oh, rah, 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 Ukraine, or oh, rah, 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 Russia, or oh, rah, 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 USA, or oh, rah, 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 Brazil, or whatever. Because again, you know, today we may like what Brazil did, and then tomorrow we'd be like, oh, man, that's messed up. That is just totally messed up. So that's all I got to say about all of that. Thank you so much, Robin. We'll have to keep that in mind. Um, see, uh, see, Lay, just one second. I want to make sure I bring in Steve, and then I'm going to go back to you, because I, I, I want to hear about that the question that came up earlier about um, the weapons industry in Brazil. Uh, but go ahead, Steve, you just have to unmute. Hey, oh, I finally got on and I'm not crazy tired. <laughs> and you're out of time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said you have a hard stop in about 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah, understood, understood. So I didn't actually know anything about this until I got the notification for call-in. So I spent the first, you know, uh, through the first series of callers uh, 
um, familiarizing myself with the issue. And it seemed like, um, A, it's happened before um, under Bolsonaro. They uh, had a request to um, Germany requested to buy back arms and they denied it. So this isn't like the first time. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I think it's important symbolically um, to say no and to give the justification as uh, things are, you know, things are kind of messy over there. We'd rather not be perceived as being involved. Um, I think that's legit. But from what I could tell, um, first of all, uh, Brazil spends a, out of their just under $20 billion annual military budget, they spend about $150 million um, purchasing arms from Germany. Germany has a pretty um, large arms industry. Um, so, you know, about $150 million a year buying leopard tanks and tank shells and they buy you know small arms and rockets and stuff from everybody from u.s to austria um and so on um and my understanding is this uh most recent request was only for about five million dollars worth of um leopard two shells um Mm. i think i don't know all the details i don't want to pretend that i do but i'm kind of i think if i heard cr correctly kind of taking a cynical tack saying um you know maybe uh germany's trying to buy back these weapons um for their own um military use potentially because they're sending their own arms already to uh ukraine but also lula could have denied it not because you know he's making some kind of statement in the in the uh, public arena that he's opposed necessarily but also because like maybe their domestic arms industry seems to largely be like light unarmored vehicles and um small arms like rifles and pistols um they might be be, might be saying no we don't want to sell you those because we need them and it's going to be difficult to procure more as all of you are sending your weapons abroad or alternatively you're arming rearming yourselves because Germany and Japan are both increasing their military spending right now. And I think uh, Noel might have, uh, or was the one I think that mentioned multipolarity. And I do kind of see almost a um, kind of <laughs> Trump kind of has had that, that attitude. He's like, well, they should defend themselves. Right. And I yeah. think that's kind of where we're going. If Japan and Germany are both arming themselves in a way that they haven't in a very long time. Um, I could see that as them taking responsibility for their own security, um, recognizing that the uh, Pax Americana or whatever, you know, being able to rely on um, U.S. Um, defensive umbrella um, is, is, is not going to um, be a good strategy moving forward. It's interesting. Um, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to bring you in, Sile. Uh, uh, uh it's interesting. Have you guys ever seen Star Trek Next Generation? Like I grew up watching that, right? So they had this theory, this thing called um, the Prime Directive. Right. And it basically said that like they were not allowed, or like Starfleet, they were not allowed to intervene with another planet, regardless of what they were going through, because they said they learned from history that things go incredibly wrong for for the species on those planets after intervention. So when you think about this, like Star Trek Next Generation was actually way ahead of its time. 
way ahead of his time. That should have been like a huge message to anyone watching that show when we think about how the U.S. government intervenes or joins on with other countries to, you know, support these conflicts or not support the conflicts. And when in the reality, I would say what what Star Trek Next Generation would argue is that they should be they should be handling their own affairs, their own business, and other people should not intervene and get involved. Uh, Cele, I want to go ahead and bring you. I, I I appreciate so much that you said that because I I was uh, trying to, to I there was this interpretation from a guy from from Europe and and then sometimes I try I they try to to analyze South America through an kind of an imperialistic I, I'm not I don't want to be rude but certain certain point of view that is very different from the one we have here. It's very different, right? All the things that uh, that you were, that I, I cannot even read the name, saying of this scholar was saying, I, I don't want to, like, it's something that it doesn't happen here, right? La the last time that there was a war against, it was Ecuador against Peru, uh, but how many wars do you remember in the last 100 years where South America took part? Sending weapons, saying, "Yeah, we are here. We are against this or pro that." So, I know it might be. It's not that here people are saints, but you won't find any, I guess, right? Or very few. Like all this armament that uh, this caller was called, was quoting, it, it was uh, during Bolsonaro presidency. Uh, the guy was very close to even to Israelis, also uh, military equipment and technology makers. And he put 6,000 military people inside the government. This guy was was very different from your average South American president. And the thing is that we there is a lot of disagreements in between governments here and nobody is putting sanctions into the other government nobody stops selling or buying from venezuela not even bolsonaro did and he said that our president argentina's president was the stupidest man on earth or something like that right and they didn't stop commerce at all because the people will suffer that and we are very aware of that i don't i don't think any president would last very long if he wasn't aware of that. So BRICS has been around for a long time, even before Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro took it with China in it and with uh, Russia in it and went through and got the benefits from it. He bought during when the war already started and nobody had um, these products from Russia for the soil, like they had it very cheap. So it's a different mindset. This is what I, I sometimes trying to explain. It's not that you are good or better or saints or anything like that, but war is the the reason have so much, so few conflicts that war is something that is outside, and I think that goes back to because I I liked a lot what Robin said that that the farther away or the less connected that you are from the wars, the less uh, protest that there is which is logical, right, in a human point of view, because it's, it's happening far away. And, yeah, and to 
the point of Brazil makes a lot of farmer of, of they have these multinational companies that uh, fabricate armament. They are not very big arms usually because the, the biggest problem is narco traffic, but they sell to Indonesia, they sell to Rwanda. So I think in the region is the biggest, but there is not, it's not even mm, close to the big, the biggest exporter uh, in Cyprus still, right? Like the, that will make a big difference in their economics to, to start selling weapons and yeah, it won't make sense. So they don't. So in South America, you don't heavily rely. Your economy is not heavily driven by the military-industrial complex. No, we okay. don't have weapons to start with. <laughs> we we sold. We were the only ones that took to trial the military dictators. The only country that could do that in in the region, and the first ones actually to to do that. There is a movie now, and. The thing is that we took away the weapons. That's what we did, right? Oh. We stopped financing the army and they have no weapons. So, but the rest, mostly the, as Gator said, is they buy from a lot from Russia and that's why they want it in Ukraine, right? Because they're, they know how to handle those. They don't have to get instructors or anyone there. And that's why Laura Richardson is, is, shopping around for that and Lula and other presidents no they're not saints but the mindset of war is not in their is not in their head like war is not beneficial in any way like for our countries at least uh, I don't see I, there is no conflicts in the in the area right there was this war uh, in, mm. in the last hundred years and but it was two countries and it stopped and it's we have colonies. We are like we are very angry again. So we we did like try to recover from the British the colonies we have in the south, the Malvinas Islands. But those are the two wars in the whole con in the whole subcontinent for the last hundred hundred and fifty years. It's a different mindset. Um, and Lula is going like this. President Lula did amazing things in her first presidency. Right now he had like. For instance, he allowed during his his first two presidencies to for corruption to go on, right? Which is something that Evo didn't. But Lula got a lot more done. That is in answer to Robin, right? Like you understand that these people are going to have to move in whatever they get, right? They they are not getting this these countries where there is no corruption, where institutions are strong and they go and, and govern, right? Like with majority, this is a mess. So they handle the mess the best way they can. And I think in the last period, the results that Lula got of getting people out of poverty was the hu the biggest one we saw in, in Latin America. The same Evo, I'm sure you can find a lot of things like real, like trying to go to re-election, many things, right? or criticism to do but they're not perfect that that is true but they are not um how do you put it? they are not neoliberals right they because we have neoliberals that that we were talking about it we have these governments that absolutely disindustrialize our countries and for our own benefits and some families they sold our country to and our or our resources to the us or to europe we have that in our history so I don't think Lula is in that 
in that uh, category, right? And if that's what you were mentioning, there are some boundaries, but he's going to work with what we have, with what he has. Sorry. Well, thank you so much for that, Cile. I have four minutes, you guys. Oh, whoops, sorry, it just said three minutes now. I have three minutes, and then I, I do have to go because I have an appointment. Um, Steve, were you finished with with what you were saying? Um, I mean, no, but I respect your time. Um, and I do maybe I can call in in the future and interrupt whatever you're talking about that day to to give my final thoughts on uh, why we have no anti-war movement, but um. I was poverty drafted into the Air Force and was at Dover Air Force Base um, as an air traffic controller in the tower. So I had a, a bird's eye view, literally, of all what they call the dignified transfers when the um, soldiers killed abroad uh, come home in caskets. Um, and the media was not allowed uh, to be present. So mm. um, that's by DOD directive. So some of it is a policy. Um, Yes, the corporate media is complicit because they're owned, you know, by companies that also manufacture weapons or um, in the case of General Electric makes billions of dollars upgrading jet engines, et cetera, so forth. Um, but some of it is internal to DOD, which is policy that could be changed. Um, and I, I can't even count how many caskets I saw and how many uh, mothers, fathers, wives, uh, children I saw collapsing onto the, uh, the tarmac. So it's pretty heavy shit, dude. Jeez. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Steve. I mean, a lot of you guys know that my dad, uh, former military, um, he was at Operation Desert Storm. There's a couple other conflicts that he was sent to as well. Um, and it, it really does take a toll on people when they do come back from these wars. Um, and, and also on the family, because you have to keep in mind, like I was a kid when my dad was sent to Operation Desert Storm, I had no idea when he was coming back or if he was coming back. See, you're just kind of in limo. You don't know when they're gonna come. Even if they say, oh, we're gonna send it back this time, people have been known to do multiple tours. I've met people that have done multiple tours in Iraq. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really sad, but it, it can take a toll on people. And I just, you know, I, you know what I say to you guys all the time, you know, keep up the fight. I just sincerely hope that we can get out of these, these wars, just, just get out of it and um, find a way towards peace because it's not good for anyone. Well, I take that back. It's good for the, it's good for the, the weapon contractors. It's good for them. But other than that, it's not like some of these countries have been devastated. They've been devastated because of these wars. So that's that. Steve, thank you so much for calling in. I'm sorry to cut it short um, today, guys. Um, even though it's like an hour and 30 minutes, some people, uh, their call-in shows are like 30 minutes long. And um, I like to have longer discussions, but I do have an appointment tonight that I'm supposed to be at right now. So I do have to go. So thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll be back live on YouTube Tuesday night. Thank you.